Am I on? Yes, I'm on. Hi, team. Good to see you this morning. Uh, a quick question. I, I thought I sent an email on Friday, and Pete tells me nobody got it. And that was basically telling you about barbecues and produce tables. Did anyone get my email? I sent it to you and then copied everybody else. I got a feeling I didn't put everybody else on. <laughs> Mary got it. Well, that... <laughs> nobody. All right, okay. Well, it pretty much said what Pete just said, but I'll send it again when I get home. Well, I'm terribly sorry about that. Uh, those of you who went, went here last week won't know that we're journeying through um, the Beatitudes. Extraordinary teaching in the Beatitudes. It was, it's the sort of teaching that Jesus says, look, this is just for my team who really get me. And I want to take you away to a special place. I want to download on you some of the most profound teaching of the kingdom of God. Uh, and I was pondering that. And uh, my friend, or our friend, uh, Mike Hay, who is the uh, regional director for operation mobilization in Asia Pacific. And so he looks after these extraordinary ships that float around the place called the Logos and the Dulos and the New Hope and... and and, uh, and he said, Nick, did you realize there's a link between the Lord's Prayer and the Beatitudes? And me, being a fantastic theologian, said, no, I <laughs> had no idea. <laughs> and he said, yeah, listen to this, you see. So I'm going to share it with you. You didn't tell me whether you can see the link. Your kingdom come. Blessed are those who mourn, they will be comforted. The kingdom principles are not here, and I grieve that. Your will be done. Your will be done. Blessed are the meek. Give us this day. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Forgive us as we forgive. Blessed are the merciful. Lead us not into temptation. Blessed are the pure in heart. I didn't hear any wows. <laughs> Deliver us from evil. Blessed are the peacemakers. There's a bit of a link there, isn't there? Don't you think? And the, uh, which I had never seen before. So I'm grateful to Mike for bringing that to my attention. But what this does is actually say, uh, you know, because they are, they're probably the two of the most profound teachings of Jesus in the New Testament, aren't, aren't they? The Beatitudes and teaching the, the, the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and, and if Jesus has sort of come up with similar stuff twice in his most profound teaching, guess what? It is important. It is fundamental. So let's get into it. I just thought that uh, that would just whet your appetite. So you'd be sitting on the edge of your seats. <clears throat> Armed with this confidence, let's come to the second Beatitude Jesus taught and it's an outrageous one. Here it is. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Um, and, and, and the word for mourn is the Greek word uh, pantheo, uh, and, 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 and it's used to describe a deep, shattering grief. So we're, we're talking about the real deal. We're talking about the grief that, that is deeply, deeply wounding. Um, 
And amazingly, this, this beatitude is saying something quite shocking. It's saying when you're in that state, in God, uh, you're going to know God's comfort extraordinarily. And I find that amazing because the path of grief is devastating, dark, and infinitely lonely. And many of you have experienced it, and you know just that. And to all of you who have mourned, who mourn the loss of a loved one, who mourn terrible things that evil have done, who mourn the dysfunctional <laughs> children in our family, who mourn the abuse caused by adults, some adults who, who mourn the loss of innocence and joy. You know, Jesus directs this statement to you. Blessed are you who mourn, for you will be comforted. It's pretty hard to, to receive, really, isn't it? Because sometimes in your grief, nothing seems to reach you in your, in your loneliness, your hopelessness and hopelessness and in the blackness of your sadness. And yet here we have Jesus making a pledge to everyone who mourns. So what are we going to do with it? I was talking to my mate Greg a while ago, uh, talking to me about a famous Christian author who did a bit of a survey about what people thought of the Beatitudes. And most of the people he asked said, they're not true. Because <laughs> they're so crazy. Interesting, isn't it? Was, I think it was Philip Yancey, was that right? Philip Yancey, yeah. Um, so here's, here's a questionnaire from you. You needn't shout it out, but do you believe this? <laughs> yes, good idea. Well, I'm glad you get a brownie point. Um, and I'm a pretty simple bloke so I prefer to take God at his word and I believe that God has placed his reputation on the line with this beatitude actually and as such God will honour it because of his namesake the beatitude means what it says but perhaps we better begin by making clear what it is not saying, <coughs> just so you can be assured. And the beatitude is not saying we are blessed because of our mourning. It is not uh, because of our grief. It's not suggesting in some sort of masochistic way that we should seek out times of, of grief and mourning in order to experience some sort of twisted pleasure. Uh, the fact is that mourning, grief and loss is, is, is a horrible thing. Uh, and I just love the fact that so much of Jesus' ministry was about attacking the things that caused that grief. He healed and brought back to life. Um, there's some very vile things that cause grief, which you wouldn't want to wish on anyone. And so it's quite wrong to suggest it. It'd be uh, obscenity to suggest you should rejoice in the idea of what happened at Auschwitz, wouldn't it? It was just ridiculous. A terrible concentration camp. So we are not blessed because of our mourning. We are blessed in our mourning, which is very different. 
So let's have a look at this beatitude a little more closely. And uh, the, note the formula that exists in this and all the beatitudes that Jesus taught. And all of them Jesus says, blessed are. And uh, that's interesting, isn't it? Just, just listen to the tense, blessed are. Not blessed sometime in the future when you get to heaven. Blessed are. N- not just sometime in the future when you get to heaven. And that is highly significant. But the second part of the formula says, for you will be. Which is making it clear that actually you will be blessed when you get to heaven. <laughs> Isn't it? So it's blessed are. And so there is a sense in which Jesus is saying, um, the blessings that you will receive in the future, please allow that to bless you now in your situation. That, that actually should transform and does and can transform the way you feel right now in your grief. Do you get it? Blessed are and blessed for you will be. Allow the will be to reach you so it blesses you now. And that is the great secret, actually, of the Beatitudes. One of the most extraordinary gifts um, I received from my battle with cancer is that it's forced me to rely on God's presence and grace. Uh, And as a result of that, I have to confess, the little things become the big big things. And and I I I have just experienced so much joy as a result of my cancer, uh, and so much peace. It's, it has been a, the most extraordinary journey. I wish I could invite you in on it. <laughs> I, I just saw a dad with a little child, and normally on his shoulder, but it slipped around, so he got one leg this side and one leg on the other side. And he was just looking, <laughs> parting dad's hair as he rode there, as dad was, and I just thought it was such a funny sight and such a great sight, you know? Huge joy. And I said, Lord, I love that. You know, that's, that's a bit of a picture of you caring for us, carrying us on your shoulder. And, 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 and the, the power with which these things impact me now is, is an incredible, incredible gift, actually. Wouldn't have known it, I don't think, if I hadn't had cancer. Uh, Anyway, there we are. The Beatitudes exist in their most complete form, as as you know, in Matthew chapter 5, but they do exist in little bits in other Gospels as well. And this one exists in Luke chapter 6, verse 21. And there it puts it slightly differently. It says this, Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. And this... Again, it says, blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. This again points to the fact that we are blessed now in the present because of the certain knowledge that in the end we will laugh with God. It's really, really fabulous, isn't it? So this points us to the first of the two meanings of this beatitude, which is, of course, to allow the certain knowledge of our future blessing in heaven to bless us in our grief right now. 
And so we are people, and, and everything that Christians do, when you think about it, everything that Jesus did, what Jesus did was, when he was here on earth was to reach into the, f- the future kingdom and bring its principles of healing, uh, truth, wholeness, life, uh, into the present. And, um, and the role of the church is to prefigure the principles of the kingdom of God uh, right now, wherever we go. And the kingdom of God really puts the highest priority on truth. So guess what we do? We speak truth uh, and we teach truth. Uh, the kingdom of God is all about sort of healing and restoration and communities. That's what we, we uh, uh, seek to, to show as, as, as a faith community as well. Uh, and so we, it's all about prefiguring the kingdom of God. Um, And the Apostle Paul lived like this. He spoke of a future hope, a hope which he knows will not disappoint him, Romans 5. He spoke about uh, the endurance of the Thessalonians who were inspired by hope. Uh, And he spoke to Titus about a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, you see. So that hope was, to th- was to designed to thrill our hearts and, and, and therefore change what we're thinking and feeling right now. And those who are in Christ, who give themselves to Christ, who exhibit Christ's character, who rely on Christ's death, them, who are living in the, the purposes of Christ, are promised a future blessing when they're in heaven. And Jesus clearly taught this. You, m- you remember the story that he, he tells in Luke 16 of um, the rich man and the beggar, Lazarus, who sat at the rich man's gate. Uh, and, we, and then Lazarus, the beggar, dies, and the rich man dies. And Lazarus, who's been living God's purposes even as a beggar, uh, is, is comforted in Abraham's bosom, it says rather beautifully, <laughs> whereas the rich man who doesn't care, didn't care about any beggars, didn't care about anyone other than himself, uh, uh, it goes to hell. Uh, and so Christians have a sure and future blessing. That extraordinary verse in Revelations 21, you know, uh, where, God, where God promises that he will wipe uh, every tear from their eyes, there will be no more death or mourning, yahoo, or crying or pain, for the old order has passed away. Gee, I'm glad about that. That was page three and it was stuck to page two. I <laughs> just thought, I've lost half my sermon. <laughs> oh, moment of attack, yes. Um, so the first meaning of the beatitude, get on track, Nick. The first meaning of the beatitude is that Christians have a sure future and a blessing, and our knowledge of this can bless us in the present. But that's not all this uh, beatitude or the beatitudes mean. I mean, is Jesus simply promising pie in the sky when we die? No. It was a certain conviction of the Apostle Paul that whilst God may not always rescue us from times of trial and grief, 
God will always bring real identifiable comfort to people in their grief right now. So it's not just the memory of what, uh, or the thought of what will happen when we're in, in the kingdom of God. There actually is a sense in which we actually can know God's comfort now in our grief. Listen to this. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of, and I love this, the Father of compassion. Isn't that beautiful? And the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. So there we are. God comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. And of course, the, the logic of that is, um, if you've never experienced God's comfort in times of grief and trouble, you're going to be completely hopeless at comforting anybody else, aren't you? Really? <laughs> you see? Uh, but Paul uh, fully expects those that he's writing to actually know uh, and, and to have experienced God's comfort in times of huge grief. He expects them to know that. And he expects us then to comfort others with that same sort of comfort that God has given us. So that points to the fact, the very real fact, that God is very real in bringing his comfort to us in our times of trouble. So it's not just pie in the sky when you die, it is now too. And isn't that nice? To which you said, woo woo, yes, sensational. <laughs> something of God's heart for those who mourn is expressed when, when Jesus uh, who began his ministry around the north shore of the Sea of Galilee uh, and then he goes home uh, to Nazareth and he takes the scroll of Isaiah he's asked to preach in the synagogue and he turns it to, towards the end of Isaiah and he reads the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and when we read about this Jesus doing that in Luke chapter 4 it goes on to say then Jesus rolled up the scroll gave it back to the attendant and sat down and of course when he sits down that's the position of a teacher about to teach the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him and he began by saying to them today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing Wow, wouldn't you like to have been there? Uh, and so Jesus is, um, is saying, look, I'm all, my ministry is basically attacking grief. My ministry is to restore sight to the person who's grieving because they're blind, you know, the, the prisoner. And, and, and he goes on, he said, that, that's my heart. So God's heart actually is to attack grief 
to attack sin, to attack death, to attack stuff that spoils. That is God's heart. And that's the one who has promised to bless you in your mourning. And I love that about God, don't you? <laughs> it, is the, it is fabulous that those who mourn matter to God. And so when God makes this promise, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, which from memory I think occurs at least three times in Scripture, once in Hebrews and a couple of times in the Old Testament. He's not simply promising to be a helpless spectator. I promise to watch you when you're in grief. Oh, thanks a lot. That's terrific. Not, you know, he says, no, I'll never fail you and I won't forsake you in your grief. He's, he's, he's promising to be a lot more than a spectator. He's promising to be with us and he understands our troubles and he promises to give the power we need to overcome them and, and, and the writer of Hebrews in chapter two makes that very clear. And, and so it is that in our current society where Grief is hidden away as something embarrassing which we should hide from the children. Jesus makes this in incredible promise that uh, those experiencing mourning will experience uh, God's presence comforting. And this is... Uh, Really extraordinary, isn't it? At a time when the only things that we allow people to see is happiness, pleasure, and entertainment. And yet God says something highly significant about grief, grief which none of life's analgesics can hide, hide us from. We're all going to be experiencing grief. And when our children learn the shattering reality that grief is more than ex exterminating a digital enemy on a computer game, uh, and they experience grief, and God makes them the promise, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So what can we say in conclusion? this is extraordinary profound teaching I just get that sense that although we're beginning to got beginning to get the, the sense of this of the meaning of this extraordinary beatitude that there is a great deal more truth to be understood in it so I commend to you Peter's uh, encouragement to read the beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 so what can we say in conclusion perhaps this you will know God's comfort in the future when you are with God in his kingdom. I think we can be pretty sure about that. Yes? Whoa. And secondly, you will also know God's comfort in the grief of your present reality right now on planet Earth. I think that's an amazing promise. And it's a promise that I know to be true. I'm sure there's plenty of grief that'll come my way yet but God has never let me down in my grief 
and it's Jesus' promise to you. So will you trust God with your grief and will you meet with him in it? Good? Loving Father, we, uh, we are just speechless, really, at your promise to be with us in a tangible way in our grief and to keep reminding of us of the future when every tear will be wiped dry. And we just l- say, Lord, we love you for who you are. We love you for that promise that is so reflects your character so beautifully. It, it is so you, Lord, that you would say such a thing, such a good thing, uh, that we are just thrilled to bits and we honor you and we esteem you and we, we love you, we declare your glory and we, we want to say, Lord, uh, the, that most sacred part of us, the, the, our hearts, w- which can experience the most terrible grief, we trust you with that broken heart. And we say, come and Show us your comfort, Lord, so that we might show that comfort to others. And so, Lord, we love to trust ourselves to you. And we say that we do in Jesus' name. Amen.